Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Our ongoing discipleship is, how do we define what the church is? And, and, and how does that work? And what is that? Some massive implications when we begin to carry out our methodology, not just our theology. Our theology is what we believe. Our methodology is what, how we behave. And so as we begin to think through this, it really does help us to be able to see how we communicate. And so in saying that, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to just be nitpicky about things, but trying to say, okay, well, what is the church? What's the Bible define the church? So we want to start with Jesus's words twice in the gospels. Jesus used the church, Matthew 16, the passage we're going to be looking at today, Matthew 18, which was studied just a few weeks ago as, um, pastor Tim led us in talking about how to confront well and walking through various forms of church discipline, uh, beginning first with just one-on-one confrontation there. And so as we walk through that, we want to begin there. So whether it's some Hard copy Bible, or you've got your your uh, uh, version of the Bible on your phone or electronic device. I encourage you to read with me Max chapter, Matthew chapter sixteen, verses thirteen through twenty, and then we're going to unpack very, very quickly which one verse, verse eighteen. But want to just keep it in context. Jesus has just been challenged by the Pharisees, and and they're seeking and demanding a sign from him. And in that, he then begins to communicate to his disciples in verse thirteen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, we just pause to ask once again, grant us understanding from this text. Help us to see it afresh and anew. For the vast majority, I'm confident in this room this isn't an unfamiliar passage as far as i'm sure they've read it they've heard it probably heard a sermon or if not more than one they may have heard at least one message on this this passage and lord i pray that you would allow it to come alive grant and by the power of your holy spirit illuminate our hearts and minds not only to understand to receive and then uh, lord to live and and that knowledge of what this gathering is supposed to be about and is this biblical? Are we meeting in a manner that would please you or not please you? And so, Lord, as we talk about what is the church, help us this morning. Grant us unity in the midst of our diversity. Grant us um, peace, mercy, and grace, Lord, to live and to know and enjoy you. And then enjoy you in this gathering as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, the church, if you... Points, if you have your notes in there that's found in the Wicked Bulletin, use those or help us walk through this and keep you an idea. If not, they'll be on the screen behind me. But we talk about what the church is. And the first thing we see in Matthew 16, verse 18, is the church is a congregation unto and for Christ. Church is a congregation, right? An assembly 
unto and for Christ. And so this word there, ecclesia, this is the Greek word there as far as what it means, what the actual church word means, and when it's this church and it's translated into English uh, for us. It's the word ecclesia, and it's a compound word in there. And it, what it communicates to us is it's a basic assembly. These people are assembling together, and the purpose of that assembly is, is that in that they're a, a gathering, but it's not just for any purpose. So they were being called out from something and called to something else. And so that's the picture here is an assembly of people who are called out from darkness and into light. And they're called out to living under their own lordship or in direct rebellion to the lordship of Christ and now unto the lordship of Christ. This is the picture and imagery here. And when you think about that, that's what the literal word church in our English word means, the assembling. Then my usage of the word church, when I spoke to my family, said, hey, I'm going over to the church, was an inaccurate depiction because who was assembled there? No one. There was no one here. And so the gathering, this assembling of the family of God that comes together, these who are being called out from the world and into light and into the kingdom of God are the ones who he's talking about here. So as he's asking them and about this profession of who he is and who do people say is important because why? If we gather under any other premise, we're not the church in that, city, that setting and that means and that mindset. It's no different than our purpose and our focal point is to see the Hawks play, which isn't sin, and I hope they do well, right? But it's not sinful to do so. We can glorify the Lord in that venue, and whether we eat or drink, we can bring glory to God in that venue. We can celebrate the talents and gifts he's given even to the Atlanta Hawks in the, in the venue, and there's nothing sinful about it. Now, you can do sinful things while you're there, right? You can potentially uh, walk in sin and live in sin even in that context, but it's not that act in of itself. And so the question is, well, then what makes this gathering of potentially many, many believers who are showing up at the Hawks, uh, Phillips Arena to watch the Hawks play, what makes that primary purpose and gathering different than ours? You say, well, there's believers here and there's believers there. And you might say there's unbelievers here. So we aren't card making people or not card carrying members that you have to like check the card in. So unbelievers are welcome to come and check out our services. And so what would make this? And this, the, what makes this distinction different about us being the church is that we're gathered for one express purpose, for the glory of God, this congregation is gathered unto him and for him for this time that we've gathered together. Unto him and for him. And so that's what it says there. And I tell you, you are Peter, verse 18, and on this rock I will build my gathering, my assembly. Which then as you begin to look at the fill in the blanks underneath that. So the church then is an assembly, not a property. All right? I'm just directed at your pastor who said, I'm going over to the church. Well, no, that's where the church meets, Right? But this isn't the church, it isn't a gathering, because you've seen many times that churches, as far as the gatherings, would move their locations, and then this building could be converted into a variety of other things. Or you can see where it was originally built, as uh, like at the ch- various churches all across uh, the United States, that it might have been a mall at one point, and it's been converted into a, uh, a gathering for the, the body of Christ, a gathering for the assembly, a gathering for the church. Or it might be that it's, uh, the old Kmart in Woodstock, and that became his hands, which is a church that meets there in the old Kmart there off of Exit 7, where it was the purpose of that building was sell products by Kmart, right? But now that building's closed, it's been purchased, and as a result of that now, it's a gathering of believers that would meet and gather there. So it's an assembly of people, not property. It's a family, not a facility, right? It's a body, not a building. It's a people, your last point, not a place, 
And so it's important for us to be able to understand it because as we walk through that, and even as we studied last, uh, the last few weeks as we were looking at Philemon, remember, his, it, wasn't, it, it was very, very clear in the instructions of Philemon, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and then he gets to the end of verse 2, and he says, and the church in your house. Right? So if it was a, speaking of a location, he would just say the church, and he didn't clarify that meets in his house. He would have said, hey, church. But he just made clear the assembly of people that chooses to meet in your house. And so it needs to be brought a clear distinction here of how we communicate about the church. Because if not, then we, we do become careless. And then we, and what we're not mindful of is that those who listen in are trying to figure out what we're saying and how we communicate and how important those, that communication is. And so the first thing is the church is a congregation unto and for Christ. Number two, the church, not only a congregation, the church has its foundations upon Christ. Church has its foundations upon Christ. Verse 18, it says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So the question then is, is, is upon this rock, what, is, what are we talking about? What is the rock? And this has created much uh, disharmony uh, within the, the, the understanding of theological debate over the course of time. Right? So the Holy Roman Catholic Church would derive this and say, Peter is that rock. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. And so as Christ then ascended and then was seated at the right hand of the Father. And then Peter assumes the, the ranks as now the representative spokesman for God here on earth. And subsequent to that, we've had one pope after the next that would be uh, the very mouthpiece for God here on this planet. That's a poor rendering of what this passage is all about. What was the context? What was the picture? Is it to elevate Peter or is it elevate Christ? Jesus is asking, so I'm back to the verse 13 to be able to see, what was Jesus' question when he came into Caesarea Philippi? Who do, men say that son, who do men say the Son of Man is? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, and so on and so forth. Who do you say that I am? So he's equated himself to the Son of Man. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter makes a, and this is what's in your notes here, a profession. So the foundation that's upon Christ is a profession. That's what the very foundations are. We are professing something. Which is why it makes sense. If we're a gathering unto and for Christ, we're a gathering that has its foundation upon Christ, and our profession as believers would be what Peter professed. You, Jesus, are the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And so then, just to make it very clear, then who should get glory and credit for that? It's not Peter, because why? What's the very next words out of Jesus' mouth? It wasn't, man, Peter, you were awesome. You need to be the first CEO of the, of, the, of the New Testament church there in Jerusalem. Right? Because you've got organizational skills and great wisdom and insight. It's not at all what he said. What he says there as we continue on. Verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And what you say is from God. You don't even fully understand all that, all that implies. And then he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. The word Peter means a small pebble, a rock. And on this rock, now not referring to Peter, whose name doesn't mean the same. He's now referring to the profession 
that you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that profession is where our foundation is. That's why when we begin to talk to people, when we begin to share with them, and they are asking or submitting for membership, one of the first things we say is, man, do you understand the gospel? Because why? It's not of that profession that I'm not Lord of my life, but Christ is. Not just the Lord, but He is uh, my Lord and my Savior. He saved me from my sins, and He could be my Lord. As a result of that, this is the profession of faith upon which the keys of the kingdom are given. This is a profession where we can say that we can be able to determine, in some sense, hey, who are with us and who are not with us. Why? By the profession of faith. Are we professing the same thing? And that profession is what our foundation is built upon. This is why you need to go to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. He talks about you build your house on the sand. Storm's going to come, and it's the same storm for both houses, right? It talks about two pictures of houses. One builds their house on sand, one builds their house on the rock. And the distinction about how when the same storm hits both houses, while one house stands and one house falls, is based upon what the foundation is. And that foundation is the profession of our faith. Are we professing it in a pope or are we professing it in the Lord Jesus Christ? Upon which only can happen when the Father reveals it to us. Massively important. Unto salvation... And then even unto our sanctification, which, might I add, we're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead, is why the church is so important. It's been designed, it's been commanded that we gather. Why? For our sanctification. When we have a faulty understanding of salvation, we're going to have a faulty understanding of sanctification as well. And which is going to mess everything up, including our understanding of the church. And so the church is a congregation unto and for Christ, and the church has its foundations upon Christ. And that... Foundation is the profession of faith that Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's our King, Lord, and Savior. Sin leads to the third point. Church is a congregation. The church has its foundation. And the church was a prediction of Christ. Now, if you, you continue on, and Jesus professes it here and, and predicts it in verse, 16, or verse 18 here of chapter 16. Again, in verse 18, as he's teaching about how to bring restoration and reconciliation but it's not fully understood, and it clearly did not have with its very understanding the mindset of also bringing in the Gentiles, right? You see all kinds of frustrations in the book of Acts and following, but now this church and its understanding being brought in and gathering of, other, other, um, uh, of the Gentiles outside of the covenant people of God is being expanded to that. And so this is a mystery that's being shared forth. This church, this gathering, how it plays out in the New Testament. But yet it was predicted even in the time of Jesus. Jesus was communicating and sharing very, very specifically, explicitly what the church, about the church here in this particular setting. um, And what it was going to be even before it came into being. And so it's a prediction of Christ. I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my gathering, my assembly of those who profess my name. I will do this. Was it in place yet? No, you still, Jesus' primary audience was Jews. But then after his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, they'll be sent out from Jerusalem, right? To Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so there's this building that's going to take place, this prediction of what the church is. And so there's a prediction from Christ. So you see the church as was a prediction of Christ. You also see, number four, the church is a visible formation of Christ. And when you build something, you'll be able to see it. I, I built this. Well, what did you build? I don't see anything. Well, it's invisible. When I built you, it was invisible. So uh, here's this, and here's this. And you're like, well, that's, 
That's great. How did you build it? In my mind. And you think, well, that's... Maybe you thought of it. I can't say you built anything until you can see it. So what Jesus is doing here is when he says, I will build... This building is a formation, a visible formation of Jesus Christ. Because what is Jesus? It's very, if you continue reading, look at verse 21. What's going to happen? Chapter 16, verse 20. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised. So what Jesus knows is, I'm going here to die, and then after that death, there's going to be an ascension. I'm not going to be here. And I need a visible formation of, of who I am, my hands and my feet, the very body of Christ, this very family that's going to be gathered together, this assembly that's going to be more than just religious gatherings, more than just ethnicity and this biological blood flowing through our veins that are the same. Right now, I know we all came from Adam, but in a sense of how we drive family units, lineage, which completely gets undermined, or at least superseded, maybe not undermined, but at least superseded by the body of Christ. There's many in this room that I have a closer, a stronger relationship than even of my extended family members. I don't, just what the proverb says is that, man, it's better a brother close by, I mean, a neighbor close by than a brother far away. Many of you could attest to the very same thing. And you might even have a brother close by. Literal family member close by, but yet you would still call probably one of our faith family members before you would call a biological family member. Why? Because you have more in common. Your life is centered on the same things. And this is what we see taking place here. So it's a visible formation. This, what he's building is something that can be seen, can be touched, can be handled. And this is exactly the words that are used. And you look at First John and others, other of these epistles that are sharing this. I mean, we've handled him, we've tasted him, we've touched him. And now we are going to be that depiction for the world. They begin to see exactly who Christ is and what Christ is through our lives. Because why? He's alive and he's living in us and through us. So it's a visible formation of who he is to the world who needs to see the gospel. needs to see the good news. And this is, once again, what the church is. What is the church? It's a visible formation of Christ. It's a prediction of Christ. It's a foundation that's upon Christ. It's a congregation unto and for Christ. And five, it's the possession of Christ. This is one of my favorites. A possession of Christ. It says there, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my assembly. For the past 18 months, a lot of self examination on behalf of your pastor. A lot of self-revelation, who I am, whose I am, what I'm made of. Walk through that. One of the things that God's told me, this isn't your church. It's not yours. And we communicate. We're going to talk about communication, right? I'm going over to the church. Poor rendering, poor communicating of what the church is. So I'm... Meaning as a building when it's not. But I've heard this. I've said this. I'd be like, oh, that's uh, John MacArthur's church. Well, that's John Piper's church. David Platt's church. Johnny Hunt's church. It's Pastor Kevin's church. It isn't mine. It isn't John MacArthur's. 
oh, I'm a part of it, but it's not mine. You say, well, wait a minute. You're a spiritual authority, right? The Bible would even say you should submit to your authorities. Obey your authorities. Hebrews 13. I wouldn't discredit that. The Bible would say that I'm the leadership position within the church, but it isn't mine. I yield as a, one of the servants, along with all the other servants, unto the head of the church, that church belonging to Christ. I will build my church. This is Christ's. It's not mine. It's not yours. So neither one of us have ownership. That's why we need to make sure we're understanding what the church is and how it functions, how it works, because why? It's Christ's church. And if we make a case for the local assembly, and it's important then coming and going and how we do that and how this works and how we begin to communicate and how we love on each other and protect one another. And it really is important because if all we're looking for is fellowship, I really wish we had more fellowship outside of the church. Well, once again, poor rendering. What you mean then is more than either the building, like I misrendered, or you're meaning the, the service, outside of the service that we gather. I wish we had more fellowship outside the church. If you want fellowship outside the church, you need to go hang out with unbelievers. But if you mean I want fellowship outside the church, you're probably rendering it a service, outside the normal Sunday gatherings. Because why? This, we're an assembly. We're called out ones, called out from the world and unto Christ, unto him and for him. It's why we gather together. Purpose and why we do, why we're mandated to do certain things and not do certain things. So this is the understanding of why and how this plays out for us. And so it's the possession of Christ. And I'm grateful that I'm not the one that said the final say. Christ is the one. I'm grateful for the ability that this is His and not mine. We all should be grateful. Though. Ultimately, there's a, an authority saying, "Well, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you're a leader over it." If you've ever been in some of the situations, you ever learned genuine submission, oh, that's great, great ability there. Let me give you an example. The married couple and the man is the head of the house. Ephesians 5. It's a walk through that. Does it by any means under, underestimate the helper? Some may just communicate that. Some people say, well, yeah, once again, you're a man preaching from male dominance and authoritarian uh, viewpoint. And I said, well, hold on a minute. If it's, if it's helper is so undermined, then what does that say of a man needing a helper? If your role is so subservient and so lack of competence and your desire and design to be a helper by God for all the women, then what does that communicate to one who needs help from such an incompetent person? It's not, it's not intended to be one's dominant over the other. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible says that Christ is, it begins to put this order in about a wife submissive to their husband as Christ is submissive to God. What do we know about the Trinity? They're one. Three distinct persons that are one. Equal. So it's basically moved. Playing field here is that women and men are equal in the eyes of God. They just have different roles, just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had three different roles in the means of salvation. One higher than the other. And so you take that and you say, okay, here's my scenario, here's my example about submission and how this plays out and, and ownership. And say, well, hey, well, you're the pastor. It would be easy for you to be able to say that. Well, not so much. It's much easier 
be able to communicate to the leader. So a wife would say to her husband, I really would like to give into Christ's body. I would like to give when we gather together. The Bible begins to commend it. Old Testament commands it. You think, I just would love just to be able to New Testament giving us just to give as we have proportion. Submits to her husband. He says, no. And she says, well, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'll yield to your leadership, but I, I really feel like we should do it. At that moment, she, she's yielding, submitting to God's authority over her life. And as a result of that, will not be held responsible for the actions that's given by her husband. And her husband now bears the full weight of the responsibility on the marriage. There's peace in that, men and women, in resting in that. And it's no different in the context of church leadership. So I would encourage that young lady then to do it at that time would be like, continue having communication with him and communication for him. What do you mean? Continue talking to him. Where's your heart on this issue? Not nagging him, not berating him, not every, you know, just every so often communicating. And then I would communicate to him and I would communicate for him. I would continue to go before the father and ask. Pray for him, pray, praying for him that God would move and work in his life. That he would so love the kingdom of God that he would desire to see the kingdom extended and expanded even through his gifts. Not just time and talents, but his treasures as well. And so, beautiful picture here, the possession. Is it me? I don't possess it. It's not mine. You don't possess it. We're a part of the church, but we don't have possession of it. We're not owners, authorities in that sense that we have ownership of it. It is owned by one and that's God. And so you see, it's the possession of Christ. I will build my church. And last point, number six. The church is given a confident declaration from Christ. Because we're his, and you look at passages like Romans chapter 8. If he be for us, who could be against us? I mean, the worst thing that can happen to us will be tortured and killed. I included tortured because you'd be like, well, I could die, but I, I wouldn't be tortured. I really hate to be tortured, Right? Really, really, I don't like pain. I smashed my finger yesterday. It was bleeding like crazy. And I was just like, my, my world almost came to an end, right? Because I was just like, I hate pain so much, right? Hoping I'm not going to lose my fingernail, right? So, so in this, I'd be thinking, well, what if my fingernails were pulled off? You think, man, torturous. It would be really bad, right? You need to take verses, like in the gospel according to Matthew, and be like, don't fear, man. Who can only kill the body? I'm like, that's pretty bad. I could kill the body. It's bad. I, I don't want that. When you think about Jesus, who was tortured and died and conquered death, hell, and the grave and couldn't stop him, this puts it in perspective, does it not? And the Bible never says we won't experience pain, by the way. It does communicate that we will experience sufferings and persecutions all throughout the New Testament. And then we definitely got the Old Testament to show us that it was indeed the case and is indeed the case. And so as we walk through this, Confident, though, assertion of one thing. Confident declaration of this from Christ. In the last part of verse 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this, we've, we've been given from the commander-in-chief, from our Lord and Savior, our creator and sustainer, has communicated this to us. I've got a plan from the foundations of the world. I have a plan. Before I, anything was spoken in out of darkness and out of the void, which was nothing, God, God had a plan. And that plan 
He is sovereign over it, meaning nothing happens to you without his his sovereign knowledge, no knowledge of this. And so when we go back to the previous verse and we're his church, he's purchased us. We're his possession. He created us and redeemed us. He made us and bought us back. And now he gives us this great confident declaration that, man, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What are we so afraid of? What am I so afraid of? Confident declaration of, and this is going, this will work. As we go to various nations, tribes, and tongues, when Jake and I are overseas and, you know, we're talking to Indians who have no idea what we're talking about. The culture is completely different. The food's completely different. The language is different. The variety of things is so radically different. And yet we gather together and through a translator and we all can worship the same God. And that the Bible says that ultimately around the throne of God will be people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. And you can go anywhere on this planet, anywhere, and God's calling his church out. Speak encouragement to us. There's nothing that can stop us. Now hear me. There is nothing that can stop us. You know what can stop you? Yourself. Doing it on your own. Taking the path of least resistance. Not fighting with and for your brothers and sisters. That can stop it. You think, what do you mean, Pastor? Is God not sovereign over that? No, no, He's going to accomplish His will and purposes. Don't hear me say that. But like Jonah, you can go kicking and screaming. And I would recommend not doing that. And so that's why he then established the church, his possession, and given us this confident declaration. And this happens again and again and again in the context of the New Testament. Again and again and again in the context of the New Testament. Right? These promises. Get to the end of the other passages where the church is in. Look over Matthew 18. I just want to show you these just like this passage, again, that God just encourages us. So you walk through Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20, basically just walks through the path, the process of church discipline. God knows it's not an easy thing to do. Verse 18, he then picks up. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever is loose, you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. What's this two or three about? Well, if you go all the way back up to when you go to your brother or your sister in Christ who has sinned against you and you try to confront that and they won't listen, you go to get two or three brothers with you to come back, to confront. So as we're walking through that, we're talking through that, we're thinking through that, hey man, this is awkward. And are we being mean? Are we being unloving? Are we being unkind? And it's saying, hold on now, there's and witnesses that are, which is an Old Testament passage, Old Testament understanding of where two or three witnesses would be brought, and ultimately that bringing of witnesses would then eventually you would that could even lead to capital punishment. People would die, right, at the hand of two or three witnesses, depending based upon the sin that was that was was taking place. Aren't you grateful for the New Testament? We just kick them out of the church, right? We don't kill them, right? Take them outside the city and kill them, right? Grace, grateful for grace, because I'd probably be dead by now, right? To maybe would have killed me, so. But, but then it's not just simply, and it, once again, 
the goal here is confident assertion. So then God says, I know it's going to be difficult. Two or three witnesses is going to be a difficult process. And so I just want you to know, when you gather together and ask anything in my name, which what they're asking that name is that brother or sister would repent. Would turn. And when you ask them, you're asking for big things, right? You ever really dealt with somebody with unrepentant sin? We're begging God. He would change them because what do we know? We can't. And then the promise in verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, once again, our faulty lack of understanding what the church is. Here's what I hear. Brother, me and my couple of friends of mine were on the lake together. And we were having church. You know why? And then he rips this passage out of context. For two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. And he's among us. We were worshiping the Lord together. That is horrible. Hope he's not a pastor. Right? Hey, can I ask a question? How are you doing church discipline? Two or three, just two of you. How are you doing the church ordinances, baptism, and Lord's Supper? How are you, how are you handling church membership there? Two or three of you gathered in that boat. It's the fish members. Who's preaching? Who's responsible? Who's, who's, where's the qualifications for elders or deacons? It's just really shallow. And we understand that. Men and women, we, we say that more than we, and we believe these things. And we wouldn't put ourselves in that venue. But where two or three are gathered in this room, you call yourself the church. Who's preaching the word? Who's teaching? Do they have the qualifications to do so? How does this work? How are we carrying these things out? We can't be careless with our, our descriptions and definitions of the church. And I'm not saying that. I've not had any conversations with any one of you. So if you think, well, is he talking about me? My heart's free and clear. I'm not talking about any in this room. Primarily talking about your pastor and how many times I miscommunicate about what the church is and isn't. Because why? This church that we're going to talk about next week is on a mission. And it looks a lot different than being in a boat on Sunday morning fishing. Is it wrong to fish? Is it wrong to be with other believers fishing? Absolutely not. Go do it and have a great time. But listen, well, let's make sure we understand what it means to forsake the assembly of the saints and why that's so important. What do we do here that's distinctly different than any other place on the planet? Or any other venue like the Hawks game, which is great. We can celebrate and glorify the Lord and marvelous talents that take place on the court below us. Or court right in front of us if you're blessed enough to have courtside seats, right? Take sweat on you, it'd be great, right? So, but man, worship the Lord, man. I look at those athletes, I think, God, you are a great God. They're so talented. You created them. They may not give you glory, but I give you glory. Somebody, many others in this room, played basketball. Even at upper levels and done really well in college even. You think, man, just having a 6'8 frame that's 250, 60 pounds like LeBron James. That's, that's Man, that, you didn't do that, right? That came from the Lord. Man, thank you, Lord. What makes this gathering different from watching and glorifying God in that venue? It's because the church has a purpose. And so as we look, what is a church? It's a congregation unto and for Christ. It has a foundation upon Christ. It's a prediction of Christ. A visible, tangible formation of Christ. It's a possession of Christ. And is given a confident declaration from Christ. If we, if we begin to believe that... I mean, really believe it. Where it transforms how we think and how we talk and how we, we, we communicate with others. 
Men and women, it's already changed how I'm I'm living. Me, this week's already changing the way I live and how I communicate. Upon which some of that you've already heard. What could this church become? Christ's church. Right here in Hickory Flat. How might it transform us? And then from that, as we've already studied just last week from Philemon, how would it change our relationships? We begin to change other relationships. We begin to reform our, our, our own homes, from those homes to our families, to our community, to our culture, to our country, to our nation. Anyway, that's, that's, that's pretty big, like, idealism there, Pastor. It is. I don't discredit that. And it might go worse before it gets better. But I can also tell you, the Bible said it again and again. And we've seen from history, it's lasted 2,000 years, has it not? And the gates of hell have not prevailed against it. May we walk with confidence. May we walk with confidence. Jake, would you mind just coming and playing for us, if you don't mind? In the last few weeks, we've not done a come forward invitation. I just want to give us a chance to respond. And, um, before I ask you to stand, you don't have to stand yet, but let's... One of the things is if there's never been a time where you've professed, it doesn't matter if your name's on the membership roll here, you're not a part of his church, or you're part of Cherokee Baptist Church. If there's questions within your heart, whether or not you're a genuine believer, follower of Christ, you have questions about the... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.